All right. So, um, I know we've been having a silly time on this podcast for a while, Chris. Would you agree? We're pretty silly. But you know what? We gotta, we gotta rein it in. We have to to rein it in. Yeah, we gotta rein it in. We gotta quit horsing around. Oh, Don, that was lovely of you. Well, if you didn't gather it off of Don's punniness, we are talking about horses. I would like to formally apologize for how I opened. Do not apologize. You are just being yourself, and that's why we love you. Well, we had so much fun talking last episode with Lucas about the new horses that we got in the Crown Tundra. We thought that we could actually, or you actually realized that we had not talked about horses yet, right? Yeah, um, I realized, so the idea for this episode actually started out with some uh, friends of mine that I, I team build with. And we realized that we almost have enough enough horses to just have a um, a full horse team, basically. Well, I think you could technically have a full horse team. It just would be bad. Do we have... I guess you could use Evie Light Mud Bray. I was saying, like, you could have Ponita and Rapidash. <laughs> yeah, either way. So I guess you could have almost... You could have a full horse team. It would just be bad. It would just be bad. But, so so how many are we up to? All right, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have anything in front of me. I'm going to try to... Sit. So we got Ponita, Rapidash. So yeah. that's two. Yeah. Then we got... Mudsdale and Mudbray, four. Yeah. We got the the latest horses. We got Ice Horse. We got Ghost Horse. So Glass Year, Spectre Six. We got Zebstrika and um, uh, Blitzel. Blitzel. Yes, we got that one. So we have like eight eight horses, basically. Eight horses. Yes. Well, there's Horsey, but he's not a horse. He's a seahorse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've got some fun stuff to to deal with, so let's just jump right into the news. This is a, a thing that I didn't know needed to be a Pokemon, but now I feel like it does. Well, I guess it kind of. Well, it's a. That's actually wrong. So we have a Dart Frog already, but um, a few a few months ago, um, the first Venomous Frog was discovered. Wait. We, what about like poison dart frogs? Those oh, are, po- then- those are poison. oh, not ben- Okay, yeah, no. that's dumb. That's dumb. Okay. Yeah, remember, if if you bite it and you die, it's poisonous. If it bites you and you die, it's venomous. So venom is injected, poisonous, secreted. So um, they found recently two different species of venomous frogs. One of them is the greenings frog, and honestly, I think it's pretty goofy looking. Did you say greetings? Greenings. Frog. Oh, greenings! I thought it was like hello. No, um, if venom. you Google it, it's very goofy. It has like a big duck lip on its face, like its front oh, jaw comes that way is off. So derpy. Yeah, but apparently, um, an individual, I believe it was Greening, was the person in question, saw this frog that they didn't recognize, so they grabbed it, and then it rubbed its upper jaw on their like hand, and the spines in the jaw um, envenomated him. Apparently, there was intense, immediate pain that radiated up and down their arm, and it lasted five hours. And because they were so deep in the in the, uh, I believe it was in the Amazon in Brazil, um, they were so deep out there, they kind of just had to like roll with it and hope he didn't die. And he didn't die, which was good. But we did learn that the venom from the frog is, um, I think, five times more toxic than that of like your average pit viper. Oh, 
Wow. Yes, and then there was a different species of frog of venomous frog found the same year that luckily the scientist in question did not grab it. There's a Bruno's cask-headed frog, C-A-S-Q-U-E. It's a much more aesthetic venomous frog, in my opinion. And it was 25 times more toxic than your average pit viper. When it had the same weird, like, four... It has, like, weird little spines near its on its head. It has tiny spines on its upper lips. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can... It stabs you with them. I mean, that's what I would do with spikes on my lip. Yes. Um, apparently, a single gram of the venom from the Bruno's cascaded frog would be enough to kill 80 people or 300,000 mice. So um, don't grab it. Yeah. Well, I feel like like that's a general rule if you're traversing the Amazon is don't touch the frogs. Yes. That said, I kind of want one. I mean, it is a little cute. But it could also kill you. I guess, though, now I think about it, I feel like Toxicroak is more venomous than poisonous. Um, I mean, he, he injects you with his little, like, thing. But I mean, his ability is poison touch, but he has, like, it's like it jabs you, and he's got kind of spiky elbow bits. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like he's more venomous than po- He might be more venomous than poisonous, because if you attack him, you don't get poison. But if he attacks you, you do, which makes me feel like he's stabbing you with his little elbow. I mean, some dart frogs are poisonous enough where if they're just on your body, they can poison you. So I guess he has that line. But um, I kind of want a venomous frog. Oh, do you know about the mustache frog? <laughs> no, but I should. It's a frog that has um a, a line of spikes on the front of its face that it stabs you with to defend itself. Well, that is a Pokemon. Right? Um, so I hope mustache frog can happen in the future. It's a, it's a toad, and I hope it's threatened or endangered due to habitat loss, and I hope it survives because it's got a cool mustache. It is it is a cool but deadly. Yes. Well, I guess in our other news, you have a little bit more familiarity with this uh, with this animal. I was reading about the tegu lizard. Yes. So the, I'm assuming it was the uh, black and white tegu. Yeah, black and white tegu. Yes, we have um. Uh, in I live in Pinellas County, but right next to us is Hillsborough County, which has had an issue with them for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually do make fantastic pets. It's like a, a mid-sized lizard. I would say, I'd say it's a big lizard. They get like four feet or so, but they're um, they're very intelligent for a lizard, and they um, are very adaptable. Um, and at captive bred and well raised, they're a fantastic pet. Well, isn't the, isn't the problem with them that that they were taken as pets and then they either escaped or were released? Exactly. Um, and like I said, they're they're omnivorous. They'll eat basically anything. They're um, and they're for for a lizard, they're very crafty. They seem to be like a more intelligent lizard from in my experience. And they have they're kind of almost cool blooded, where they're slightly warmer than the like ambient temperature, mm-hmm. which lets them overwinter a lot farther north than some of the other. Like in Florida, we have like the pythons and the other stuff like that. But like the pythons can't make it past like the Everglades. Yeah, but tegus had um, you had this other info. I knew that they could overwinter as far north as Tallahassee. Yeah, the article I found said that they have been found in two counties in Georgia and South Carolina, which is a lot more impressive because it gets it gets cold in Tallahassee, relatively speaking, cold. But it gets a lot colder in South Carolina and Georgia. I mean, it's cool for the lizards, but isn't that also kind of like not so cool for the natural habitat that's there? Yes. It's very much not cool. They're um, like I said, they're they're in a niche where they're they become a large enough predator 
where they're kind of immune to a lot of sort of local predators that could really eat them, but they're large enough to pretty much eat anything unmolested. They'll, um, I know in Florida, there's a concern about them eating alligator and American crocodile eggs. They're large enough to raid nests very effectively. They also burrow well, and um, I've, I've helped some people capture some wild ones, and they're, uh, they're a very impressive lizard. They are, um, I remember a, a friend of mine's friend who I helped, we dug one up that had, he had a large burrow. It was probably like four and a half, close to five feet ta- uh, long male tegu. It was very strong. It was, I, I've helped catch a lot of weird critters. And I think pound for pound, it might be one of the strongest like things I've ever caught compared to various like alligators and caimans and crocodiles too. Um, they have crazy teeth. They look like tiger shark teeth. It was like shaking me and my buddy back and forth. We both had hands on it. I, I could really see them being a problem to, to native wildlife. I mean, maybe they'll fix the feral cat problem. I guess that might be a ray of <laughs> that, sunshine. That's dark, Don. A, a lizard cat war. Dude. Honestly, I'd watch that movie because, like, we have the iguanas in South Florida, but they really can't go any farther north, and they're like ninety-five percent herbivorous. I feel like, yeah, tegus will eat anything. Um, I know people that have talked about having like outdoor cats, and they'll go outside in like Hillsborough County, Florida, and they'll just be a tegu, like a four-foot lizard, just eating the cat food that they put out for like the neighborhood cats. I saw that that story going a different direction and i'm glad it ended where it did where it, it wasn't eating the neighborhood cats <laughs> yes i mean if if i had to bet on the two in a fight i would put all my money on the tegu i mean from what you have described i would too and that makes me sad because i like cats i feel like we're getting into a dark place though so let's move on to the pokemon news yeah let's move on so um you want you want to start off we've been talking about it don you had some you had some success recently, if you want to fill us in on the Players' Cup. Yeah, so um, me and my buddy Tommy, he goes by uh, Doc Dandy on Twitter, we both uh, ran the same team in the Players' Cup for North America, and we both got into the uh, top 16. It was it was a lot of fun, to be perfectly honest. I really neither of <laughs> Our Trick Room matchup was um, double Heat Wave and then a hit Sing with Clefairy against both Trick Room teams. We really just sort of went for it with the team neither of us had the most confidence in the team going in but apparently it really paid off i have a uh we have a report coming out on our friend um Audie's youtube channel um i think it's like ck49 or ck9 yeah he, he he realized a lot of great content but um it was a lot of fun we had a very fun team of um nihilego clefairy charizard landorus whimsicott and uh no, I'm blanking on the last Pokemon on my own team. I should know this. Torkoal. It was not the one oh, I placed, actually. How, of course. how did you forget Torkoal? How can I forget my special sunny son? Um, you can edit all the parts out where I forgot this part. I'm going to keep it in so everyone knows you forgot your son. Anyway, so that's the team. Um, it was a lot of fun to use. Charizard was great going into it because um, we, we expected a lot of Landorus. Or not Landorus, Metagross. And um, it really paid off on that front. Nihiligo was fantastic. Nihiligo is the definition of Lucas's big number smash. I honestly shout out to it for making Power Herb not just be the item that Xerneas uses. Because <laughs> Power Herb Meteor Beam is stupid. Yeah, it is. It is very stupid. 
Yeah, um, and the uh, last thing I want to plug real quick on this part, my friends and I, we have our own YouTube channel now where we're team build and post our replays for various tournaments. Um, Icehouse, E-I-S-H-A-U-S, like the German spelling because it seemed cooler. Um, I put all my Players' Cup runs on there. There was one match I got. I think Nihiligo got up to plus five in one game. It's it's a dumb thing. And it's special bulk. Is, I was taking like 50% from like plus two Max Geyser from Rotom Wash in sand. Um, but yeah, so that was great. Um, unfortunately, I didn't wasn't able to go past top 16. And um, I really hope the Nihiligo gang keeps going. Nihi gang. Nihi gang. You did. You did very well. I'm hoping that if they do the Players Cup, I can be there with you next time. I'm hoping for the next. Um, I know. I know we had issues. You were high enough to qualify for the next round. Yeah. And I think we we played some more games, and then um, it kind of didn't work out. Now we now know. I know. So well, uh, that uh, that that's great news for you. Great news for everyone is that Zarud is finally coming to the game, which if. You haven't done it. Well, so I'm not, this episode's coming out on the 20th and I know the deadline to sign up says the 20th. I don't, I, so if you're hearing this and you haven't signed up for the newsletter, do that. It's, uh, if you Google get Zarud America, uh, you'll find lots of stories that, that show you how to do it. But basically you have to sign up for the trainer newsletter on the Pokemon website. And I think it's December 11th they're going to be sending in the newsletter. That's my birthday to get. Oh, there you go. Happy birthday. Here's the Zarud. But that's how you're going to get it. So if you want them, make sure you do that. I think you should still be able to do it on the 20th. And if not, then this is just rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm kind of disappointed in Zarud. Honestly, is he any really any different than any other mythical we've ever gotten? Some of them are better. I feel like he's just, Leaf Guard is a, so okay. Leaf Guard is a lame ability. I don't know. I just feel like it's lame. Um, and I apologize if there's any Zarud fans. It looks like I I think the design is cool. It its looks utility like is maybe Mojo mad. Jojo and Incineroar had a child. But I love Mojo Jojo. I do too. But it's um, Grass Dark is a questionable typing. At the end of the day, I think it looks cool, and it's a new mon. So new mons are always fun, even if they aren't the most. Oh no, I, I think it's cool. I mean, we can't use mythicals anyway, so how good they are isn't really relevant. Well, moving on in the news, the last thing is there was just one massive dump of info on Pokemon Go. They're raising the level cap to level 50. Yeah, and so it's going to be 50, and it's also not experience-based. So so 41, if you're going, if you're at 40, you're not going experienced anymore. It's There's like different kinds of, uh, they lay it all out, but it's things like, I think getting from 49 to 50 is you have to beat the Team Rocket leaders using CP 1500 Pokemon. So there's some like wild, wild kind of quests to do in it. And that seems that seems pretty cool, pretty unique. And I'm excited to see what they do with that. But more importantly, they're releasing Kalos Pokemon. Oh. Uh, and so I believe, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, it's all the starters. So Froakie, Fennekin, and I always forget the grass one. Um, chestnut or whatever, late yeah. chestpin, whatever, chestpin. Lame, lame one. I don't apologize to the chestpin fans out there. Bro, this is probably the only one where the water type is my favorite. Oh, I know. I normally go towards water types except sun and moon because I don't like clowns, so I don't trust 
the Poplio line. They have so you get the starter lines. You get Bunnelby and Diggersby. Klefki is is a uh, region locked to France. Yes, because the French love house keys. Everyone knows that. Little known fact: the French love keys. Fletchling. So we can get our. Uh, oh my God! I'm blanking on the name. Talonflame. Talonflame. We can get we can get our Talonflames, and then also Lit Leo. So they went like all in on the fire ones in in this release. But that I'm excited for all those. I'm excited to get Froki to to battle with because I think he's going to be fun. And then also the Kanto Cup is happening right now, which I don't think you are participating in. But I'm having a lot of fun. It's a lot better than the Bronzer Cup, aka the Little Cup. That just ha- that just. I saw up. a lot of tweets about how like busted Bronzer was. I will readily admit that I used Bronzer because. It was broken, <laughs> but the Canto Cup is a lot is a lot more diverse, and I'm having some fun. That was a lot of news dumps, so let's just jump right into the topic at hand. All right, Don, you're gonna learn me some things about horses, right? Well, I reckon we can saddle on up on that there horse knowledge partner. This is the disclaimer. Please be prepared for all of the horse puns. I said I wouldn't say howdy anymore, so I'm not going to say howdy, but I'm going to use every other thing that seems Western because we're talking about horses. All right. So, Don, we have some you you have some history about horses you wanted to share. Yes. So um, we'll start off with the the origins of horses. Honestly, horses are kind of an interesting group of critters. They originated in North America about 50 million years ago. The the original like horse ancestor was a dog sized critter um, named uh, Hyracotherium, um, and they were uh, they were like definitely a prey animal. I mean, horses have kind of always been a prey animal, but um, they were they were food for a lot of other cool critters like the ter- the uh, terror bird, which has some uh, Gallerzaptos vibes. It was a ground based bird that ran around and ate them. I'm glad that the terror bird does not still exist. As am I. Um, I bet they were would have been delicious, though. But horses were neat because they kind of went the opposite direction of uh, humans. So humans sort of came into North America over, like, the Beringia land bridge. And horses went the opposite way into Asia, and then they later colonized Africa and Europe, where they evolved into zebras and um, other things in Europe where they died out for a while. And then they also, horses also died out in North America about 10,000 years ago. Uh, for, ju- just because, or was there some, something? Just for the record, um, the uh, Blitzkrieg hypothesis, which is the argument that humans coming into North America wiped out all of the big critters, has kind of really lost a lot of steam over the last few years. And now it's believed to mostly be like climactic shifts and stuff, really worth what doing the animals in. And I'm sure like our ancestors for sure, you know, they got a few here and yeah. there, but they don't think they were the main factor anymore. But we think it was really the climactic shifts. So the horses died out in North America. They persisted in Asia and Africa for the most part in Europe. And Asia is where they were first domesticated, right? Correct. Um, that was about 4,000 to 3,000 BC. Horses were domesticated in Asia. And initially it was just for the milk and the meat. They didn't become a transport animal to a little while later. They were sort of just like your generic like goat or cow yeah and then they became like a more of an animal of transportation and then they slowly crept westward over the uh over the centuries 
which it, it's really interesting. Um, if you look at like, I think it's like Egyptian hieroglyphs, you see for a while horse archers up until like the 1500s, horse archers were like the dominant battlefield tactic. That's why the Mongolians were able to just dominate up into like central Europe for a while. But for a while, like knowledge of horses and how to care for them, especially like the farther west you went, was like a very like secretive and like esoteric art like we have like hieroglyphic evidence of um like egyptians where they would like they would fight in pairs of two and while one guy would try to shoot his bow also like in the hieroglyphs they were shoot they were sitting way too far back on the horse where it's like modern horse riding tactics or like other more eastern horse riding tactics at the time and um while one guy would shoot his bow his buddy would hold the reins of his horse Mm-hmm. because they weren't able to like just not let go of the horse yet it was like a very um secretive knowledge almost to take care of horses and maintain them at the time in a lot of areas and then over years the years that um it went west domesticated horses actually made a return to the americas and um the early 1500s with uh i think it was hernando cortez who first brought them in like early 1500s then by 1525 mexico had a pretty good like horse breeding industry and didn't need to uh, import horses anymore by that point point. and then like uh stolen and escaped horses really became established in the american west and were like utilized heavily by the uh the native american tribes of the american southwest and later the midwest by the uh 16 and 1700s well and i think the thing that like the biggest takeaway from this too is that wherever horses have gone They've been a game changer. Absolutely. The the mobility of that horses offer, the fact that for a long time it was just I mean, easily the fastest way to get around, plus the fuel was just on the ground. And especially any any culture that could figure out like horse plus archery was just automatically the ultimate military power in its area. You could argue this back and forth, but I kind of view horses as one of the more impactful creatures in terms of like human development. Like they enable, I would honestly, I would even argue the most impactful. Well, and and we're only like, we're just talking about warfare. Like we haven't even talked about like their utility for, you know, enabling agriculture and advances in that, you know? Exactly. Um, They really were able to supplant some of the, um, like the oxen and things like that, just by being like a faster method of movement and like a little less like caloric requirements as well. And I mean, there's a reason that when someone works really hard, you call them a workhorse. Yeah. It just means they're just grinding it out. They can work all day. They have, they're fast, have pretty good endurance. They're just, um, they're kind of like the ultimate, just, I was about to say workhorse again, but we just said workhorse. They're kind of the jack of all trades. Yeah. Well, so you hit us with a lot of history. What about some? Do you have any any modern tidbits on horses? Um, a bit. So I will. I will. A shout out to my sister Lauren. Um, she's also on Twitter as a uh, Rockslide Flinch. Is her Twitter We're handle? So many people. Oh, she and she's a Pokemon player too. Yep she 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 does some VGC with me. Um, we go to events stuff together, or we used to back in the before four Corona times. Then she actually helped me out a lot with figuring out the more modern horse-based things. She was at modern horses, which we can sort of tie in to the uh, the Pokemon if we want to sort of dip into that at the same time.
Let's start with the uh, let's start with the uh, the newest and hottest Pokemon in the world. The the hottest slash coldest thing to hit the VGC, or the spookiest slash coldest. So we have the new ones, uh, Glastrier and Spectrier, which, as I pointed out in the last episode, very abundantly clear that these are the names they're drawing from historically Destriers, which was another name for war horses, and. We're talking like the epitome of a war horse. Like, yes, at, at the time too. I mean, at the uh, in like the time of like the Middle Ages when like cavalry was at its like peak in like the Western world, Destriers were just the highest highest echelon of horse. They were worth like more than the average horse would make in a lifetime. I saw a thing that said that one Destrier was worth uh, seven normal horses, and and a normal horse is already expensive. And and that's and that's not including the armor that you would then have to put on the horse. Yeah, because the other horses were like coursers and palfreys, which were like considered to be also war horses, but weren't quite the same. But a destrier was like the combination of the speed, the power, and the strength to carry like a fully armored knight in the battle. Yeah, and carrying a fully armored knight is no small feat. Not at all. We're talking like like we're talking like a grown a grown man with. Full body armor, which what, so what, like fifty to hundred pounds additional. Yeah, and these, and these were, I mean, people talk about how people were smaller back in the day, but these were very wealthy individuals that had a very good diet. So they they were honestly probably like size and weight wise a lot closer to a modern person mm. than what you'd imagine. So you're talking about like potentially a six foot individual, so maybe two hundred pounds. They're very strong. They've been working out their whole life, plus another hundred pounds of armor. And 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 then the horse has its own armor. Exactly. So the, I mean these these horses they were they were they were big they were strong the things that I I kept reading about though is that they weren't like it wasn't so much their like height big but like their muscle build like yeah they were they were, they were like almost stocky like they're because it's it Destriers is what you associate with like your heavy cavalry charge where like yeah maybe your uh, your archers or your light troops weaken up the enemy formation and then you send in your like your shock troops your big heavy guys and heavy armor their horses are heavy they have big lances led zeppelin's playing in the background and they're just charging in there for for any of our uh, more horse inclined or equine inclined listeners these these horses i saw were up to 16 hands in size to give you a little bit more uh, of an idea, which as I learned the standardized measurement of a hand nowadays is uh, four inches. So whatever 16 times four is 64 inches. Yeah. Is that math. Okay. Yeah. 64 inches. So that's how up to their shoulder. That's how tall they were. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a big critter right there. And then I, I think I saw that it was specifically William the Conqueror brought Destriers to England in the 11th century. Yes. I mean, it just took off with, you know, knights and the, the kind of jousting tournaments where those were the horses that were used because of their, their strength and their drive. They would be trained to, uh, like, bite the people in front of them. So, like, you would charge them with formation. You'd be slashing and stabbing with your lance and your sword. And your horse would also be, like, pawing with its front hooves and biting the opponents as well pawing with its front hooves is a very very nice way to describe trampling your foes yeah i made it sound friendly <laughs> uh, but like like th- that training was intensive because they had to sort of like overwrite a lot of the horse's natural instincts because like you think about battle there's 
loud noises. There's blood scents everywhere. Like that, like a lot of these things would scare horses away. Yeah. So this is something I was going to tie in later, but I'll bring it up now. So, um, yeah, horses, which is why I personally, I said, I grew up with a younger sister who like went really into horses. She didn't go like horse girl. She meant more like practical with it. Horses don't really like me. I feel like, but it's also because I don't trust them because your average horse, you know, weighs like a thousand pounds but is also scared of like a plastic bag that blows weird and then will like shake you off and break your spine, which I don't like that. I'd rather have a critter that just is actively hostile to me, but isn't afraid of random things. A lot, a lot of like for a war horse, you want to overcome that, that instinct for horses to be afraid of things. And um, so that's actually the origin of a uh, dressage, which I always made fun of. It's the weird horse dancing sport that's in the Olympics now. Mm. Mm-hmm. where you teach your horse to dance, walk sideways and backwards. That started as a method of uh, training war horses, or you would train them in like weird maneuvers like that. And it helped like teach them to overcome their instincts to flee. So um, it has a practical route in battle it was that I actually thought until my sister told me about it, I thought it was like just a goofy horse dancing thing. So we went from training for, for battle to goofy horse dancing. Yes, but it, now I respect it a lot more. I, I appreciate it now because I don't trust horses and I'm kind of scared of them. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice and it is very impressive. So that's that is so that's the overall, but let's get into the specific specifics. So we tied Glastrier and Spectrier to more folklore type of things last time. You have some more real world connections this time. So Glastrier, there's a horse called a Frisian, which sort of sounds like freezing, which makes a lot of sense because ice horse. Also, so Destriers, sorry to, to backtrack a bit, but Destriers, no longer, the breed does not exist anymore. And But there are a lot of breeds that descended from them. Yes. And I feel like it was kind of also like a catch-all term almost, where like it, it was like for at the time, when it was, I feel like we were at like humanity as a whole was in a much more practical stage. Or it was it like it was big? Is it big? Is it strong enough to carry a dude in armor? It's a destrier. And then later we got a little more particular, and there were like even back in the day though there were subbreeds, and one of them was the Frisian, which sounds like freezing. So I'm counting it, freezing ice last year. That's just that's that's um, an unintentional bonus. Yes, and the Frisian was a very large horse, up to like 16 hands or so. Um, they were the wrong color. Friesians are black. Last year is like whitish blue because it's an ice type. But I'm, I'm arguing the vibe. They were very strong. They were like large, strong draft horses that were also used in battle. So they were like not not the fastest, but they were very strong and powerful and can carry your armored knights. Friesians are also used in dressage now, which is the fancy horse dancing that we're talking about. Uh, but I, I, I think war horse, strong, not very fast. But like bulky and powerful is sort of how I think of Glastrier, as we've seen from like the latest like Players Cup finishes. It's like a very like it's not very fast, but it hits very hard. It's got very good bulk, um, and it really like racks up the damage. So I feel like it kind of fits the uh, the Frisian mold in that way. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, and then this is one that I didn't learn about. I didn't know this existed till today. And thank you to uh, my sister Lauren. Uh, Spectrier, she found vibes between Alcalteca, and they're more uh, sort of golden, but they have some sort of black to them as well. They're actually a very rare breed. There's only about 6,600 of them in the world. 
and they're one of the oldest existing horse breeds. But they were known for their speed, endurance, and intelligence, which I feel like sort of fits the ghost type. Um, we saw that Spectrier is very, very fast. Um, it's a spooky ghost, which I sort of fits with like the sort of rare old breed that this horse is. It's sort of a gold with a black highlights. It's a beautiful horse. It is. Um, and it's it's got some sort of dark highlights to it, and sort of it yeah. has a sort of ghostly vibe. And um, it does have. Um, there are some lines that go into modern thoroughbreds, even which we do, which are like the fastest modern horses. Yeah. And um, Spectrier is the fastest horse currently in the games as well we did a lot of dump but i think those ones are uh in particular important because of their legendary stature and they're hot and new and everyone loves the shiny and new things i was i was gonna say new toy syndrome yeah new toys uh well we if we go back one generation to uh alola we actually have another horse one that you wanted to talk about we're talking about uh our good boy mudsdale i personally have never had success with mudsdale but some people really like Mudsdale. I find that my least favorite typing is ground typing. It's so good, though. I don't... I I just don't like ground types. But that's, that's a different... That's a different episode. We can, we can... We're already going a little long. We can just... We can get it into Mudsdale. So, again, based off of the name, I think it's pretty clear where this one is coming from. And that's Clydesdales. Right? Everybody's favorite Budweiser mascot. Everyone... Oh, I've got a story for you. Uh, but I think there's a part of me that is a little sad that Mudsdale was introduced last gen because Clydesdales are from Scotland. That's a good point. I, I, I saw that in the show notes. I didn't even think about that. And yeah, it's so Clydesdales originated uh, in in an area in Scotland called Lenrickshire around the River Clyde. So Clyde, Clydesdale. I'm convinced that if Mudsdale had been introduced a couple gens ago, we would have gotten a regional version of it in this one but because it was so new they just kept it you know yeah i have some more fun stories about clydesdales if you want to fill us in on some of the like more dynamics about them as a breed um i know they like sort of um they're obviously like your classic big horse obviously scottish breed they're bigger than destriers yes they are they're they're um, an enormous draft horse um they uh like very large draft horses are like very large horses that pull things basically. Yeah, think of any like all the horses that do like agriculture and logging work. Like yeah, also you know pulling big kegs of Budweiser around. Yes. <laughs> where the neighborhood where I grew up, we had a neighbor that had it like they were on the edge of the neighborhood and a giant front yard that was like zoned for agriculture due to some weird zoning rules in Central Florida. So they had a pair of Clydesdales just as pets. They're so they're so big. Yes, they are. Yeah, they're enormous. So they're actually a pretty recent horse breed. By the uh, 1970s, they were actually considered a breed vulnerable to extinction, where they were uh, considered very vulnerable. But since then, they've sort of rallied a bit. They've become sort of a uh, obviously the classic like Budweiser Clydesdale, and they've sort of become also like a very like aesthetic horse but it's like they're they're very much like sort of a working breed in a time where we really don't need working breeds of horses anymore you think of like i mean they feel like a very showy horse to me like you always think of the ones like in a parade because they have all like the you know kind of like pom-pom kind of hooves 
Yeah, um, wait, my sister sent me a word for that. Let me see if I can find it. I think there's a specific word. Because uh, cause the, uh, the Frisians also have the sort of weird hooves, and she said that. I will insert my, my first fun story, which we have talked about the, the Budweiser Clydesdales. So it deals with Prohibition, naturally. But basically, when Prohibition ended, Budweiser got Clydesdales to pull around carts of beer, and Clydesdales delivered the beer on a in a carriage to the white house to celebrate prohibit the end of prohibition uh and thus g- gave birth to one of the most successful advertising campaigns ever a lot of people associate them to have like every super bowl there's a new budweiser clydesdale commercial and it's always enjoyable all right we're going long we'll keep moving all right so that that does it for real quick one thing my my sister noticed um in this and i feel like we should include this part um, you know the move high horsepower. All the horses learn it and a bunch of other stuff do too. Which causes that debate like is Snorlax a horse? Um It's not, but <laughs> it might be. But anyway So when the horsepower animation in game shows a horse hoof impacting the opponent, which implies that horses are shooed in in game. Someone is going around and putting horseshoes on wild Pokemon, like your wild Ponyta, someone's putting a horseshoe on it. Uh, I'm, I'm or, gonna, or it I, means they just naturally grow horseshoes. I, that's, that's what I'm thinking because that's the same thing with Hitmonchan. You know, like, is someone putting boxing gloves on all these or do they just grow them? And the answer is that that's just what, what it has. They're not boxing also, gloves. Also, wait, real quick, I was looking at Ponyta. And it's um, Pokédex entries to see if there were any... I was trying to figure out what sort of... My sister thinks it might be an Arabian, which you can look into later if you want. But um, all the entries on Ponyta basically have it being like a foal or a colt where it's like a young horse that doesn't stand up straight for a while. Yeah. But the Pokémon Stadium entry just says it can jump over the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Every other Ponyta entry is like... Its legs aren't strong yet, but then it gets better. And then it's like Pokémon... OG Pokemon Stadium's like it jumps over the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> also, why is that like the only reference to like the real world in the games? Yeah, actually, that's a that's a weird reference. Like, it's this fantasy world, you know, completely different. And then it's like, oh yeah, Eiffel Tower. To be fair, the Pokemon Stadium games were so early. I mean, they they might have thought it could have only been one round of things yet. I mean, and Ponyton Rapidash, they're. I always kind of got just like generic horse vibes from them, you know. Yeah, my my sister said they could sort of have an Arabian vibe where they're um they're fast but they're not the fastest, and they're showy but they're not the showiest, you know. Them and and also Rapidash is a unicorn. Yeah, and yeah. the um the Galar line is just like My Little Pony. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground on horses right now. Uh, I think that. We should move on to the close, if you're good with that. Yeah, let's let's wrap let's wrap her up. Well, I reckon we done got through the spur of this here moment. That was the stretch, Don. <laughs> oh, gee, I I stretched. I was I couldn't think was, of anything at you, all. Did you did you pull something working on that stretch? Oh, dude, I, I you know, Olympic gymnast level, honestly. One second. <laughs> I look up. 
I'm looking at more, I'm looking at horse puns. Oh no! I was the only other one I can think of is Don. Do you have anything else to add? Nay. That would have been better. Hey, uh, so uh, I, I got a horse pun for you. Okay. So what did the Clydesdale say after he went to check his 401k? What? I'm financially stable. Oh my god. (laughs) Well, on that note, that is the sparkling note we will leave you, valued listener, with. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. We hope you learned something about horses. Got a a great slew of episodes coming up. Lucas has got some great content. He's going to be joining back with us for uh, a special holiday episode upcoming which i'm looking forward to i think it's going to be great fun but again thank you very much uh if you if you could please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app it helps others find the show again thank you very much for listening yeah y'all uh can mosey on now there partners we're gonna we're gonna cut this before don makes any more jokes all right <laughs> see you next time everyone bye thank you all for coming out <laughs>